Welcome to The Cap, where we are here to speak with college reps and other professionals in the field of college admissions to help answer all your questions and guide you through every step of the process. So if you're serious about college admissions, you've come to the right place. Are you ready? Let's talk about it. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Durante. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and I am here to introduce you to college admissions representatives and other professionals in the field of college admissions. Our purpose is to serve you, the students and parents, so that you may gain insight straight from the people who ultimately make the decisions. Regardless of whether you will apply to a particular school being highlighted, you should listen to all of the episodes as each guest will give you tremendous insight and advice on every aspect of the college admissions process, prompting you to come up with your own follow-up questions for when you visit campus or meet with a college admissions representative yourself. Lastly, if you have any questions you'd like me to cover on future episodes or any comments you'd like to share, please email me at collegeadmissionstalk at gmail.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.collegeadmissionstalk.com. So are you ready? Let's talk about it. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you today Lisa Sayo, who is the Senior Assistant Director of Admissions at St. John's University. Lisa, hello, and how are you today? Hi, John. How's it going? Thanks for having me. I'm excited here to talk a little bit about St. John's and to be joining the podcast today. Well, we're very happy and fortunate to have you, and we're looking forward to it as well. So, Lisa, let's get right to it. Tell us about yourself, Lisa. How long have you been an admissions counselor, and how did you end up in such a position? Yeah, so definitely an interesting question. I don't think um, anyone really goes to school to say that they want to be an admissions counselor or they want to work in admissions. It kind of just happens. Um, so I've been here at St. John's in the admissions office for almost 16 years, so definitely a long haul. Um, they like to say that you're either a lifer or you decide in three years that you don't want to be in admissions. Um, but honestly, I never thought I would stay here for this long, but here I am. Um, and I do really enjoy working in the admissions office, being on a college campus, working with high school students, going through that phase of the application process. Um, and how I got here is a little bit interesting. Um, I um, did my undergraduate degree in psychology and my graduate degree in school counseling. And I kind of knew um, in my senior year of undergrad that I wanted to go on to guidance. I had a really wonderful guidance counselor myself in high school that I really had a good relationship with. Um, and in my senior year of undergrad, I was able to do kind of like an independent study at a local high school um, working in their guidance office. And when I was there, my favorite part of that role was actually working in the college center that they had with students who were in their senior year. So kind of from the get-go, I really enjoyed the college search process and I really gravitated to it. Um, and then I went on to graduate school for school counseling. Um, when I was in my second year of that grad program, one of my rotations was done at St. Francis Prep High School right here up the road from St. John's University in Queens. Um, and my professor was actually my um, supervisor, I guess, in that role during that rotation. And she was amazing. Um, I have a great relationship with her still. She's you know, she's just really wonderful in the field um, and really talented. 
Um, so I did a lot of work with her there in the realm of the college process, the college search process, um, helping students as they were making those decisions. Um, and I, again, I just really gravitated to that piece of the whole piece of guidance. Um, and then when I was finishing up there um, in graduate school, I applied to probably close to 100 guidance jobs. Um, and if you live in New York, you kind of know that it's almost impossible to get a guidance job. Um, and I also started then applying to, um, you know, I also then started applying to college um, positions, like some advising positions, um, admissions positions. Um, and I don't know, somehow it just kind of ended up. And I started here um, and I really never thought I was going to be here that long but I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I was, like I said, always really gravitated towards the college process and the college piece of the guidance field. So this kind of was like a perfect fit. Um, so here I am um, and um, you know, it's, it's been a fun road. I've gotten to meet so many different students from really all over, international students. I've had a chance, St. John's has brought me to our Rome campus. Um, brought me all over the United States meeting students. So it's really been a really fun experience. Um, and I can't, you know, I can't see myself being anywhere else at this point. Well, thank you for that intro. And I know that St. John's is extremely fortunate to have you. And Lisa, we're very happy and fortunate to have you here on the podcast today. So thank you so much for that. And so let's get right to it. What is it, Lisa? What is it about St. John's University that makes it appealing for so many students to want to apply and ultimately attend. And if you don't mind, let's talk about the programs offered within your classrooms, but even beyond. Yeah, um, definitely. So um, so St. John's is, for those of you who might not know, is located in Queens, uh, in, Queens in New York City. Um, so we are um, you know, really within the New York City limits. Um, we have a traditional campus so we're on over 100 acres. We're in a very residential neighborhood. Um, so when you hear that you're, we're in New York City, you kind of might have that envision of being a city-like campus with big buildings, but it's actually the opposite here. Um, so even though we are in that urban environment, technically, I consider it more of a suburban campus. So um, you walk around and you really don't feel like you're in the city at all here. Um, we do have, um, we're close by to the nearest subway, um, so really easy to access the city from there. Um, but we have that traditional campus feel, which is nice because we like to say it's, it's really the best of both worlds. Um, and I know, John, you mentioned that you did your grad, some of your graduate work here, um, so you can kind of agree with me that it's not a city feel at all. Totally um, agree. Yeah. And it served me well, along with so many other students. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, you know, so it's, it's really the best of both worlds. You get that feel of being on a college campus in that traditional environment, but the city is really right in your backyard to take advantage of. Um, so we do have over 100 undergrad programs. Um, probably some of the ones we're best known for would be um, pharmacy, some of our business majors. Um, we're very well known for business. We have a lot of five-year options where students can take advantage of doing their B, um, bachelor's and MBA in five instead of six years. So um, saving that year's worth of schooling, year's worth of college tuition. Um, so, um, so those are really you know, some popular programs. 
criminal justice we're very very well known for we also have a really unique cybersecurity program that we have some really state-of-the-art labs here on campus where companies in the field actually come to our campus to view the facilities to kind of mimic them um, out in the field which is really fascinating um, and we've had a lot of new construction going on which is important a big a big important piece of a college campus so right before covid our business building was just renovated along with some of those um, cybersecurity facilities um, we do have a brand new nursing program which we're super excited about um, it actually just became state approved i'm not kidding about a week ago um, so <laughs> brand spanking new um, and we're really excited about it because we've traditionally always been known for some of our health science majors and it's always been assumed in the area that we've had nursing uh, so we we would get a lot of questions about it but we never had it so now we can say we have it which is awesome um, so we're excited about that we're breaking we just broke ground on a brand new health science center which is set to open up in fall 2024 um, so that's going to be a hub for the brand new nursing program so um, some some you know really exciting things um, another thing that kind of makes us stand out is we do have really strong study abroad programs um, so like I mentioned, I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to go to Rome to visit our Rome campus, which was really incredible. But about 40% of our students study abroad. Wow. So um, definitely that global presence, having that opportunity, um, definitely super popular. Um, COVID has put a, a damper on that, obviously, which it's done to kind of everything. Um, <laughs> but, um, but we're back up and running this spring as our first semester of having students go back abroad. So we have the campus in Rome. We also have a, another campus in Paris. So um, definitely lots of study abroad opportunities for students who might be looking for, you know, for that experience, really, which is nice. Um, so definitely that, that does make us stand out a little bit in, in you know, in terms of, of St. John's. Um, and speaking a little bit about the more student life experience. So some of you might follow college athletics, specifically basketball. Um, that's really what we're known for. Um, so going back to, you know, I guess the 80s where Chris Mullen was on the team. Um, parents probably know who that is, but students, <laughs> unfortunately, they have no idea when I tell them who that is. So, but parents will know, and, that, and that's a big popular name. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, so definitely athletics are big here. We're Division One. We're in the Big East Conference. Um, we have 17 men's and women's Division One teams. We have club and intramural sports. We have 200 clubs and organizations. Um, just yesterday, right on our great lawn at the center of campus, there was an Israeli festival going on for the Israeli student organization. So even though we're Catholic, you don't have to be Catholic to come here. Only about half of our students are actually Catholic, which is pretty um, interesting and a, a little fast fact about us. But um, we're really welcoming to students from all different faiths. So it's not uncommon to see different festivals and activities going on um, with students who, who are not coming from that Catholic back, background here on campus, which is a really nice atmosphere. Um, but we have a theater on campus, so there are theater clubs and organizations, there's music organizations, community service is super big here. So we are what's called the Vincentian School, which usually no one knows what that means. But um, basically what it is is that we're founded on the St. Vincent de Paul mission. So you probably yourself, John, didn't even know what that means. But, <laughs> um, and before working here, I didn't know. But, um, but you know, it's, it's founded on that mission of service. Um, and our students are very heavily involved in doing service here. So that's definitely a huge component 
to being a student on this campus. We even have a scholarship program for um, service. So um, definitely a huge draw for students who might be interested or, or looking to pursue that. Just a few weeks ago, we had the Relay for Life, which is really big, where students raise money for cancer research. Um, we have our Spring Fling coming up, which is like a big carnival for the students on campus. So that's one of our traditions. Um, I, I would say the two biggest sports in terms of student following are going to be basketball and soccer. Um, so our men's basketball team does play most of their home games at Madison Square Garden. So if you watch any of the games on TV, you would see all the students behind the hoop in the red zone. The red zone is where all of our students sit. Really fun atmosphere to get involved in, go to the games, show your school spirit. I've been to many games myself, bringing my own children, and it's just a lot of fun. Um, it's just a really fun atmosphere. Our soccer team also does really well, both men and women's. Um, this year, like the first kickoff game, they had a food truck festival um, to kick off before the game. So the students could, you know, go to the game, go to the food truck. So that was really cool. So there's honestly always something going on. Um, we do have a campus concierge desk. So um, since the city is right here, students can get access to discounted Broadway show tickets, movie theater passes, sporting event tickets, museum passes. I've known in the past students that have gone to a Yankees World Series game for $50. Um, so, you know, not sure if there's any Yankee fans here or Mets. I'm not going to be impartial if you're a Mets fan. But, um, but you know, those are things that, that happen and, and re really are easy for our students to access. So there's always things going on. And, you know, I always tell students that the experience is what you make of it, regardless of where you end up at school. If you're going to sit in your room and not take advantage of the opportunities that are on campus, and just kind of hang out in your room, you're not gonna make the most of that college experience. Whereas on the flip side, you know, I know students who I look at what they do and I'm like, how do you have all this time to do all of these things? You know, their <laughs> leadership positions and you have a really tough major and all these crazy things and I don't know how they have the time, but they wanna do it so they figure it out. Um, so, you know, getting involved is how you're gonna make the most of your college experience and, and enjoy it. Well, thank you so much for that comprehensive explanation of all the great things that you have to offer, not only in the classrooms, but beyond strong academic programs, tremendous amounts of opportunities for students in terms of the athletics, the clubs that you offer. But you mentioned being in the city, there are so many other opportunities that the students could take part in, in terms of recreation, if they want to go to a professional baseball game in New York, if they want to go to Broadway, just such a wealth of... Uh, opportunities for the students, again, both on campus and beyond. So again, thank you for that comprehensive explanation. So Lisa, how many applications do you actually review a year and do you re represent a specific region? Yeah, um, so that's a great question. Um, kind of a, a back seat to seeing kind of the admissions process. Um, and every school is going to be a little bit different. St. John's, we this year received somewhere around 20,000 applications. Um, I definitely don't read 20,000, um, but we do have it broken down. Um, we do have it broken down by territory, and normally our counselors read by territory. Um, so my territory is Nassau County, which obviously, you know, if I'm doing Nassau County, I'm going to have way more applications than someone who's, you know, reading for Nebraska. We don't even have anyone who goes to Nebraska, but just as an example. Um, but um, that's kind of how it's, it's broken down. Um, and then we also have some kind of what we call like niche areas where we might read based on different programs that we're 
working with. So I myself um, am very heavily involved in reading for the PharmD program, the pharmacy program. So I have a whole, I, I read every single application to pharmacy along with a few others who are involved in that process, whereas there are other people in my office who, um, you know, they read for actuarial science and risk management, or someone else reads for some of the um, specific biology programs, um, sciences. So, you know, kind of depending on what you have a hand in will kind of vary based on how many applications you're going to read. Um, so I myself, I don't know what the last tally is, but normally I normally will review somewhere just shy of maybe like 2000 in a normal wow. year. Um, and you know, every year it could kind of change. Um, but it's definitely a lot, you know, it, it's a lot, it's a busy time when we're reading. Um, we do have more than one read. So, um, I will read initially, I kind of make my recommendations, um, and then it goes over to another committee that does a, another read. Um, and then it kind of goes over to our, um, more, more higher up administration to make like a final decision. Um, so, um, so that's a little bit about how it works here. Um, every school is a little bit different, but for the most part, um, most schools will do some sort of group reading where they have multiple people reading. So it's not just like one person is going to read and decide yay or nay for a student. Um, but yeah, we do have it broken down by area. Um, I've recruited in really all over the United States. Um, when I first started here, I was in Connecticut, Rhode Island. Um, at different points, I've been in Texas, California, um, where else? Uh, Suffolk County, Nassau County. Um, so those are Brooklyn. Um, so I've kind of been reading for all different areas and kind of reading for different areas opens your eyes to different things. Um, you kind of see what opportunities students are presented with, what types of classes they're presented with and given that opportunity to take. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's very different and it's also, that's how it's done here because when I have Nassau, I know those schools. Um, so I know the schools in my area, just like the person who's reading from Massachusetts, she knows those schools in that area. And if she has a question about a transcript, she can easily pick up the phone and call her connection at that high school. Um, so um, it just makes the process a little bit more seamless um, and also helps the student as well, because you don't want someone reading your application who doesn't even know the rigor of your high school. Um, so um, so it, just, it just helps that it's done that way. Well, those are great points. And so let me ask you, what is the average profile of the current freshman class in terms of GPA and, in, and any other information that you collect? So, um, so great question, important question. Um, and, you know, I always tell students it's an average, it's not a cutoff. So if you ask a school for their middle 50%, don't freak out if you are on the lower end of that because they were still admitting students in that band. Um, so um, our average here is about a 90 GPA. If you're on a 4.0 scale, uh, if your school's on a 4.0, it's, it's around like a 3.4. Um, and, um, you know, strong B minus, B plus, A minus average. Um, that's going to be for most programs. Some programs are a little bit more rigorous, so they might be looking for some higher overall GPAs. SAT or ACT, and I know John will talk a little bit about test optional, but if you are submitting standardized test scores, our average is about a 1,200 SAT, ACT about a 26. We do also super score. So if you took the SAT numerous times, we will take the highest math 
and highest evidence-based reading and writing from different exam dates and same goes for the ACT. Um, so it is to your advantage to submit all scores to us. Um, when we're reviewing, and, and most schools use the same actual system that we use, um, when we're reviewing, the system automatically pulls out the highest score for us. So if you sent us three sets of scores, in reviewing 2,000 applications, I'm not digging for the other scores. I'm literally just seeing what the highest is. Um, so, um, you know, so don't, don't feel nervous about sending multiple test dates. Um, and that's something we would encourage you to do, yeah. Lisa, if a prospective student falls a little below the current freshman class's average, what are some of the things they can do to increase their chances of being admitted? Yeah, great, 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 great question. Um, and I even have a few examples that I always like to share because it really gives a real, a real situation where my, my recommendations have worked. Um, so, um, you know, one thing is, you know, sometimes we'll have students, um, just, just a few days ago, I had a student who really wanted to come here. Their GPA was really very poor um, and they didn't meet the, you know, they didn't get accepted. Um, and it's sometimes difficult to have those conversations with parents and students. Um, but I think it's important to be honest. Um, and, you know, you don't want to be at a school that's way above what your abilities are because you might be put in a situation where maybe you're not going to perform well at that school. And that's the last thing you want to be put in. That's a situation like that. Um, so, um, you know, I always recommend to students advocate for yourself. Um, you know, if you're falling way below the school's GPA requirement, unfortunately, sometimes there isn't all that much that can be done um, unless there is really a very extreme extenuating circumstance. And I'll talk a little bit about that. But, you know, just be honest with yourself. Um, if you did really poor in high school, like you have a 70 GPA, it might not, you might not be ready to go to a four-year school yet. And really, there's nothing wrong with that. I always like to tell students that sometimes it's not the straight and narrow, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with not being on the straight and narrow. Um, going to a community college first is sometimes a really good thing. Um, you can become a little bit more serious you know, about college classes, have the ability to kind of have that slow transition into college classes, um, and really kind of figure out what you want to be doing and where you see yourself fitting. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about there is a school that is a good fit for everyone. And it might not be the school that your mom or dad told you or that your friend has a sticker on the back of their car, but that doesn't mean it's a bad school because it might be a good fit for you. And John, you could probably agree with me. You know, sometimes we get really hung up. I'm like, this is where all my friends are going or everyone's going here. I have to go there. I have to apply there. But sometimes thinking outside of the box is, is a really good thing. Um, and, um, you know, so um, it's hard sometimes for people to get past that. Um, I know that, you know, I've had that conversation with families and pursuing that community college route, if you don't meet a school's admission requirements, is not a bad thing. Um, here at St. John's, we actually have um, an articulation agreement with pretty much most of the local community colleges, Nassau community, Suffolk community, Queensboro, um, where you can go there and do two years and get your associate's degree. And then that articulation agreement tells us that most of those classes would transfer over. 
So it's a really good option for many students. Um, you know, the other thing to keep in mind that maybe you didn't do as well in high school as you would have liked, um, but college is a new start. Um, it's a new start. You go somewhere for a year. Um, you, you know, go there, you do really well. We're not really going to be looking at your high school credentials anymore. So it was that new start for you. Um, so, um, you know, sometimes it's not the straight and narrow, but that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, contrary to what a 17 or 18 year old might think, <laughs> but, um, but you know, so the, the other example I like to give is that, you know, being an advocate for yourself, if you, if you're kind of right around that school's average and say you're on the wait list. Now the representative who usually comes to your school, so John, the representative, I come to Syosset, I normally read those applications from Syosset. The representative who's coming to your school is normally the one reading your application. So if you have a school on your list, you're gonna apply there, you're considering there in the fall of senior year, make an effort to go to that visit when they come. Normally, most college reps will visit, you know, now that we're, you know, kind of leaning more towards normalcy, um, we'll come visit your high school in the fall of senior year. Some might come in the spring of junior year, just kind of depends, but for the most part, the fall of senior year, there'll be lots of college reps coming in and out of your high school. Um, and if that school's on your list, go to the visit. Um, because even if you might fall a little bit below the requirements, if you've made a good impression on that representative, they might remember you. Um, so, um, you know, and follow up with an email. If you can't go to the visit, shoot, go onto the school's website and find the representative for your area and shoot them an email and say, Hey, you know, I had a math test today. I couldn't come to the visit. I'm really sorry. I wanted to meet you, but I just wanted to introduce myself. I'm really interested in St. John's or whatever school it is. Um, you know, I had a, a specific example where a few years ago when I was recruiting in Suffolk, I had a, a, a high school visit and I had about five or six kids in my visit. And um, there was this one student who I could tell was very, very interested. He was asking me a lot of questions. He was really engaged in the conversation. Um, and at the end, he kind of stayed after we talked a little bit about, he had a, a little bit of a difficult kind of road in personal circumstances in high school for a year. Um, and we talked a little bit about that. Um, and I gave him my card and I told him to be in touch with me and all that kind of stuff. Um, when I brought his apple, now I might not have remembered his name, but I remembered the high school. And I remembered when I visited that particular high school, there was a student that was really engaging and had a really extreme circumstance. And when I read this application, I read the essay and I was like, oh, this is the student. This is the student I met. And he was not eligible for admission. He did not meet the admission requirements. But I was able to submit an appeal for him and I was able to write up kind of a blurb about my experience, meeting him, being impressed by him, um, you know, all the, those kinds of things that, that I saw when I met him. Um, and that student got admitted wow. based on my appeal. Wow. So, you know, so it's, it's just like, I know sometimes we tell students like, this is what you need to do. And unless they have that like viable example, they just think, you know, it's not important, but that's a perfect example because yes, I'm reading 2000 applications and I, I'm very bad with names, so I wouldn't remember his name, <laughs> but I remembered that story and I remembered where he went to school. So it really helped him. Um, so, you know, things like that, like keep in touch with the counselor, advocate for yourself. If you're visiting campus, send them an email like, hey, you know, I'm going to be visiting today. Are you around? Um, you know, are you around? Can, you know, can we meet? 
Um, and, you know, just having that open discussion. Um, something I can say here that is really important is you as a student should be advocating. It's great that mom and dad call us, but sometimes we, you know, we'd much rather see the student. Sometimes, you know, it's hard to tell, like, who wants to come here, mom or, or the student? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, just being that advocate for yourself and not relying on mom to do it. Um, you know, so some good examples and, you know, it's, it's an important piece, but um, really utilizing the resources and us as admissions people, we love answering questions. We love talking. We love talking about, you know, I always tell students, like, even if it's a question not related to St. John's, but it's just a general college question. Like, I'm happy to help you. I'm happy to give my recommendations. So call us. That's what we're here for. Well, those are tremendous pieces of advice. I love the story that you shared about the students that ultimately you ended up advocating for. I also appreciate that you made it very clear that in most cases, the representative that actually visits the student's high school, those are the representatives that are going to ultimately read the applications and help in the decision-making process. Mm -hmm. I also appreciate that you talked about not following your friends. Don't just apply to a college because all of your friends are applying to that college. It's very important to look and think about, do you want to be in an urban environment? Do you want a rural environment? Mm -hmm. Is a four-year college right for you? Like you mentioned, many, many students start out in a community college, a two-year school, get their associates, and then transition to a four-year school, which is a tremendous mm -hmm. uh, opportunity for students to just work through their academic career. So thank you so much for all of those pieces of advice, sharing those stories and that insight. We appreciate it, Lisa. Yeah. And in terms of my next question, I know St. John's is test optional. Mm -hmm. How does leaving out the test scores in schools that are test optional influence financial aid awards on the merit-based side of things? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and, you know, a very, very relevant question that I think became much more apparent to people because of COVID. Um, luckily, St. John's did not have to do the transition to test optional during the crazy COVID rush that year. We were test optional for about five or six years prior to COVID. So it wasn't a new experience for us. Um, I can say that the number of students that have applied test optional since COVID has increased dramatically here. Um, so in a normal year, um, like pre-COVID, we were seeing probably around 10% of our total applicant pool was applying test optional. Um, so definitely a smaller number. Now it's close to 40%. Wow. So definitely a huge jump, huge, huge jump um, in, in you know, relation to that. Um, and there's a lot of misconceptions that families do have about applying test optional. Um, and I get it. Like, you know, I feel like as a parent myself, I would probably feel a little bit weary about it too. Um, but, um, but, you know, the misconceptions aside, it is not going to hinder your acceptance. It is not going to hinder your ability to get a scholarship. Um, and every school is going to be a little bit different. Some schools do have different requirements where if they offer a full tuition scholarship, you have to submit test scores for that. Um, for consideration. So those are good questions to ask, again, to ask your point of contact, your representative. Um, but, um, but for the most part, it's really not 
in, impacting your ability financial aid wise has nothing to do with. Um, in terms of um, admission standards, it's not easier or harder to get in with or without test scores to St. John's. Um, so um, I always give the example of if you are a student who has a 90 GPA throughout your four years of high school, you take the SAT three times and you can't get higher than a 900. You're a test optional student. You're a picture student for test optional and you should be applying test optional. Whereas, you know, if you're falling around the average SAT or falling around the average GPA, you should submit your scores. Um, it's not going to hinder you in any way if you do one or the other. It's not easier one way or the other. We actually have a really um, unique uh, FAQ page on our website because we were getting a lot of questions about um, test optional admissions. And you can go there and kind of just read through, like what are other people asking and what are those responses from us? Um, but it is definitely a stressful decision. Um, and I get that. It's definitely a, a stressful decision and a stressful kind of talking point for a lot of parents um, and students. And I think you should have that discussion with your guidance counselor. Kind of just goes back to that open line of communication, whether it be with your counselor at school or your counselor at, in the colleges that you're looking at. Um, because a lot of them do use a program where they actually plot on a scattergram where students in the past have fared. So that would be helpful to you. Like, did Johnny apply test optional last year and did he have the same scores I did? Um, and how did he do? Um, so that's definitely a discussion that you should be having and you can call us and ask us. We unfortunately as admissions representatives cannot tell you, you should or shouldn't apply test optional, but we can kind of give you like some of the statistics. Like this is what happened last year. Um, and this is where you fall. So use that data to kind of make that decision. Um, the other piece is there are sometimes specific programs that require test scores. So that's a really important question. Um, like if you're looking at any like really rigorous programs, um, like a lot of some schools might have the joint MD program. Those are generally, they're gonna require test scores. We offer the BioDO, Doctor of Osteopathy, um, a joint program with um, NYIT. We offer a bio SUNY optometry program. Those require test scores. Our brand new nursing program is requiring test scores. So, you know, it's you should still be sitting for the SAT or ACT regardless of you knowing what schools you have on your list at this point. Um, because you don't want to limit yourself. You, you don't want to be in a position where like, you know, middle of senior year, you decide to add a school, but oh wait, I can't add it because I didn't take the SAT. Um, so you don't want to be put in that position, but, um, but yeah, there's a lot of preconceived notions, but here, um, you know, every school is a little bit different, so it's good to ask questions and communicate, but here it's not going to impact you, um, in a negative light. And sometimes we get questions like, oh, you know, I didn't do well on the SAT, um, and my grades aren't good either. So that's not really an excuse. Um, you know, it's not, it shouldn't be used as an excuse, um, because in essence, if you're not submitting test scores we are really looking at the transcript even more heavily right. because that's the only piece of academic information we have for you. Right. You want to make sure that you are a strong student um, throughout high school um, if you are considering you know, the test optional admission process. Well, I appreciate that answer because there are a lot of students and parents who are concerned and worried about not submitting test mm -hmm. scores. So I appreciate that you shared some of the data in terms of the statistics. And you mentioned the program, in most schools it's called Naviance, where there is a scattergram yeah. where you're able to see previous students in your high school 
that have been accepted or not, and you get the average of what their GPA was and their SAT or ACT scores if, in fact, uh, they had them available. So thank you for all of that. Yeah. Lisa, a student's activity sheet is another piece of their application. What are the kinds of things you are looking for beyond the work they did in the classroom? Yeah, so, um, you know, when we're considering what kinds of activities you're involved in, you have to keep in mind that we are admitting you to be an, a contributor to our campus. So we want to admit students who are, have contributed to their high school community, who have tr contributed to their local community, and who are involved in well-rounded students. Um, so I, I don't say there's one specific thing you need to do. Everyone has a different area of interest. Everyone has different strengths. Um, everyone has different things that potentially based on where they live, they could have access to. Um, and that's all kind of relevant in the grand scheme of that, again, that reader knowing the area that they are reading applications for. Um, and it's much, much better to see a resume or an extracurricular activity sheet that lists just a few activities and maybe leadership positions in those activities than literally just listing 20 clubs. And we kind of know, we have a sense of this student is only doing this because they think that's what they need to be doing. Um, and, you know, it's, you can see it. You can see it on paper. Even if we don't know the student, you can see, like, they're doing this because they think they have to or they think it looks good, not because they're passionate about it. Um, so, um, you know, even students, like, you might have to work. You might have to have a part-time job. You might have to pick up a younger sibling off the bus because mom and dad are at work and then help that younger sibling with homework. You might think that's insignificant, but it shows that you're responsible. It shows that you, you know, your parents think you can handle that. It shows a lot of responsibility and include that on your resume. Um, include anything you have done outside of being a student physically sitting in class. If you've done community service, if you're an altar server, anything you've done, nothing is silly, um, you know, everything has relevance in relation to what you're interested in. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, students, some students do research. Include that. If you've published something, include that. Um, if you, you know, during COVID, it was a little difficult, but I think now it's, we're kind of getting more back to normal. Students have the ability to go and do volunteer work in, you know, local establishments. Um, you know, if, even if something silly, like it might seem silly, but you get groceries for like an elderly neighbor or like you help them with something like include that because it just shows the type of person you are. Um, so, um, you know, don't do things because you think that's what we want to see. Do things because you enjoy them. Um, and, you know, the other piece is maybe you did something and you didn't enjoy it and that's okay, but that's good. You kind of, you thought you would enjoy it. You thought you wanted to major in this area. You did some volunteer work. You did some, you know, research um, and you realize it's not for you but that's okay that's good you're kind of checking it off your list um, so um, you know if you held a leadership position if you're an athlete into music whatever it is include that on there um, because again we're admitting you and we want you to come to our campus and be a contributor to the campus community um, so that's you know that's that's the purpose there um, the other piece is that some schools don't require a resume or an activity sheet. It is actually a section on the Common App. You should fill it out. Um, the, it's what I like to say, even if it's optional, it's not really optional. So just submit it. 
it's only going to help us to have a better sense of who you are as a student. Um, you know, we're just looking at your academic components. If you didn't submit anything else, then we don't know who you are as a person. Um, so make sure you utilize that section on the Common App and that you do include information about that um, on there. Well, that's great advice. It is a section on the Common App, as you explained, and students, obviously, it's mm -hmm. very important to list any and all activities. Mm -hmm. I also appreciate what you said about jobs and helping out a sibling, which has become a common theme in the conversations throughout the podcast. Yeah. Students and parents, again, if you hold a job, if you have to come home and take care of a sibling, perhaps an elderly relative that lives with you, those things are so important in terms of telling an admissions rep mm -hmm. how responsible you are, and it really gives them insight in terms of your character. So please, as Lisa said, don't hesitate to include that in your activity sheets. So thank you so much, uh, Lisa, for that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, and just something to add to that a little bit. Um, you know, not only including it because it shows that you're responsible, but it also shows maybe why you weren't able to stay after for a club at school right. or why you couldn't play right. a sport at school. So, you know, that's Great another point. important piece and another, you know, you know, another important thing to think about. Um, and, you know, that's what we'll take it into account. Well, that's a great point. Thank you so much for sharing. And of course, another piece of the overall application is the college essay. Mm -hmm. So Lisa, what are some examples of college essays that really stuck with you that when you read them, you thought this kid has to come to school at St. John's University? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I love this question. Um, so we do a lot of panels where there's a lot of admissions representatives and we talk about the essay and, you know, it's so funny to listen to stories of what essays people have read that are both good and bad. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I do love this question and, you know, just kind of going back to that, the, how I spoke about the resume a little, how it's really the, the way that we can kind of see who you are as a person and the essay is even more so that, um, you know, this is really, it's really the only piece of the college application that allows you to tell us something we can't tell from the other pieces. Um, and, um, you know, it's important to note that don't write about what you think we want you to say, um, because we can tell it's not genuine. We can tell if mom helped you write that essay. We can tell, um, you know, reading thousands you know, you know which students are really genuine. They've really taken the time to and put in that time to write their essay. Um, and, you know, that's that's a good way for you to kind of show us who you are. Um, sometimes we laugh. Sometimes we I've had very sad essays, very funny essays, you know, the whole gamut. Um, and, you know, the other pieces, it's also kind of your place to say, like, if you had something going on and, you know, maybe you had a struggle in ninth grade, put that in there, include that, um, you know, so don't be afraid to kind of tell us about yourself um, and, you know, really being genuine, being genuine, um, making sure that you are answering the essay prompts is a really big one. Um, so, you know, every school might have a specific essay prompt. Um, you might have the option to do any of the Common App essay prompts. But just making sure that you're being mindful of that, being mindful of the word limit, 
um, because you know when we're reading thousands of applications we can't be reading an essay that's like 10 pages long you know so just being mindful of those um, you know points um, and then you know some essays that, that I actually read probably one of my favorite essays in my 15 years this year um, and the student is deposited and she's coming here um, and um, her essay was really just so interesting um, it, she was an adopted student and she wrote about how her adoptive family they used to have to they used to um, have cooking nights where they tried to mimic Chinese food because she was adopted from China and they would have recipes um, about how to make this they would go to the Asian food market and they would get all the ingredients and they would try to make it and at the end of the day, most times they just end up ordering Chinese takeout. So it was just a really, just a funny way of her really kind of depicting how her transition here, um, you know, and just making it funny. It was just awesome. Um, and it was one of the best essays I have honestly ever read. It was so well written and you can tell she was so genuine and her personality really came out. Um, another essay um, that re really stands out to me. It seems like all the ones that stand out are about food, but, but they, <laughs> you know, so you don't have to write about food. But these are just two of the ones that have stood out to me. Another one was about peanut butter. Um, and it was about how um, peanut butter as a child became this bad thing because they had a peanut allergy. And it was so interesting how like they wrote, they, they just wrote about, and it was so unique um, and just like grasp your attention um, and they wrote about how everyone in the lunchroom would eat their peanut butter sandwich. And there I was just like on my own feeling like alone because peanut butter wasn't a part of my life or, you know, whatever. Um, that was a few years ago, but that was a good one too. You know, like just being unique, even, you know, just thinking about something so small in your life that maybe you could elaborate on. Um, I can tell you one of the worst essays I've ever read <laughs> was um, about a student who wanted to go to medical school. And she wrote about how she was walking down the street and she saw a dead bird and she dissected it with a plastic fork and knife. Ooh. That was definitely the, one of the worst essays I ever read. But, definitely um, but you unique. Know, just in terms of the essay, yeah, yeah, definitely unique, but not in a good way. Um, so, um, you know, just be yourself um, and don't have too many people read it. Um, you know, maybe stick to one person. If it's your English teacher, you have a great relationship with them. Let them be the person who's going to kind of help you along. Having too many, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen there, it's kind of takes away from you. It takes away from your voice. So, um, you know, but, you know, just be being genuine and, and thinking kind of off the cuff of things that you've experienced and how you can kind of spin that for the essay. Yeah. Well, those are great examples and great pieces of advice. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's the one piece in the application where students get the opportunity to express their character, their personality, what interests them. So I really appreciate those examples, Lisa. Do you offer any supports for students that may have had an IEP or a 504 in high school? And if so, can you explain? Um, yeah, so definitely um, a very, very important question. Um, we do have supports here, um, and those students will work with our Office of Disability Services through the Counseling Center. 
Um, they have, I mean, this time of the year, we're getting a lot of these questions. So very common, um, we'll connect them with, the, with that office. Um, and then they kind of start that process and that discussion um, in terms of providing any sort of documentation that they might need to then determine what types of services we can offer to a student here on campus. Um, what I always tell students and families who are kind of exploring this option is that to the student is you really have to be your own advocate when you come to college in this regard because no one like high school where they know like you know this student gets entitled to extra time on test or whatever it might be whatever service it is um, in college it's not really like that so you are kind of advocating for yourself where you might go into your English class for that semester and just let that advisor know off the off the bat like hey you know um, I have um, extra time on my tests um, you know, can we figure out how we're going to handle that or whatever, have keeping that open lines of discussion with your professors and really advocating for yourself um, when you get to a college campus in regards to any of those services that you might need. Um, so yeah, and some schools do have specific programs um, where you could, could apply. We don't have anything like that here. So students would just be working specifically with the office um, on campus and we would connect them with them and then it kind of goes from there. Great. Thank you so much for that, Lisa. And how about students aspiring to play sports in college? What advice do you have for prospective student athletes in terms of making their intentions to play known? Yeah, great question. Um, since we are Division One school, we do get a lot of questions about this. Um, and, you know, we, we always refer students to the athletics website. Um, there is, um, on our athletics page, we do have um, a questionnaire there. So you could click up, excuse me, click on the sport you could fill out the questionnaire and that would really kind of be the first step in the process. Um, that would let the coach know of your interest and then it's kind of really up to them. If they're interested in reaching out to you, they will. Um, you know, there's all the different guidelines in terms of periods where they can't reach out to you or, or can and, you know, it varies based on sport um, and the time of the year. Um, but that would really be the first step for us if you're looking. Um, the other piece is that since we are Division One, most of our student athletes are recruited. Um, so if chances are if you're a senior and you haven't been recruited yet, you're probably not going to be playing at a Division One school. Um, but every team does also have open tryouts. So you're welcome to try out for the, you know, any team um, that's here. But we do have club and intramural sports as well. And for those who might not know what the difference is, um, club is where you're playing against other schools. You're traveling, you're playing against other schools. So it is fairly competitive. Um, it's not a Division One sport, so you're not going to get scholarship money. Um, but then intramurals is really campus-wide. So you might have a softball team with your roommates, or you might have a basketball team with your roommates, and you're playing against other students here on campus that are part of that intramural program. Thank you so much for that, Lisa. We appreciate it. And lastly, what are the top three pieces of advice you would give a student and their parents who are getting ready for the college process? Yeah, so, um, you know, so it's definitely... A stressful process and you John if you have you know you have two daughters who basically just went to college so you you can agree <laughs> that it's stressful my my kids are little so I haven't reached that stress level yet but um, <laughs> my big three pieces of advice the first off is to take a deep breath and enjoy this time because when are you ever gonna get in the car with your teenage child and drive for hours and hours and you know talk about what they want to do, never, you know, like, or, you know, <laughs> hardly, hardly ever. Um, so enjoy the time, enjoy visiting schools. Um, I'm actually like a visit geek. I love visiting college campuses. It's like some really weird 
kind of thing I have. Um, <laughs> but if you're going on vacation to like a specific area, go visit a school that's in the area. Even if it's not a school you were considering, like you might be surprised. You might think it's, you might like it. Um, nowadays, there's a lot of like self-guided tours where you can just kind of step on campus, scan a QR code and go on a self-guided tour. Um, so enjoy that time with your children um, when you're kind of going through that process um, and visit. Visit is the second one, like visit, visit, visit. Um, visiting is the best way for you to see if you like a school or not because every school is going to have really nice pictures on their website. Every school is going to have really nice brochures. Um, but you need to go there and you need to have a feel for what that campus is like. I mean, here, like some students, like they'll tell us, I walked out of the car and I got, I stepped foot on the Great Lawn and I knew this was the place for me. And that's the feeling you want. And there's going to be that school for everybody. You'll find it. Um, but that's why visiting is important. Where on the flip side, like I have a friend who drove all the way down to D.C. from New York, went to D.C. They got, they literally, her daughter wouldn't get out of the car. They pulled oh, wow. up to the school. She said, oh God, I don't like this school. So now they drove all the way to D.C., and she didn't want to get out of the car. She knew. She knew right away that she didn't like it. And that's the importance of visiting. Really, nothing can compare to visiting. Um, the last piece is more so for the parents. Um, you know, and I know sometimes this is hard, but you should, you know, just try to remember that this is your child's experience, not yours. So while they might like a school that you don't like, that that's the school they like or vice versa. You might like a school that they hate right. and that's okay. Right. Um, but it's their, you know, try to just remember that it's their experience, um, not your experience as a parent. And of course, like as parents, that's hard, a hard concept for us, but um, <laughs> because we always want the best for them. But, um, you know, but some just keeping in mind that it is their experience and kind of give them the driver's seat. Um, let them call the admissions office if there's a question let them call and ask the questions give them a little bit of that independence and kind of chime in when you, you know obviously be involved when you need to be but um but giving them that independence and that confidence that they could do this and you know find out the information that they want um is i think a really big piece so but i could talk for days about other recommendations <laughs> <laughs> Well, Lisa, those are great pieces of advice. We are so happy to have had the time with you today. You really gave a comprehensive overview of St. John's University, but also the college admissions process. So thank you so much for your time, your expertise. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, John. And I hope to be on again, you know, soon. But this is great. And I hope you guys got lots of good information and you're able to learn a little bit, a bit about St. John's and, and just the college process in general. Thank you again. We certainly did, Lisa. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please don't forget to tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am your host, John Durante, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Cap.